as I had been praying about what the Lord would have me to share tonight, I been reading through the Psalms in my quiet time, and I encourage you, if you haven't, just to start in Psalm 1 and just begin to read <clears throat> through the Psalms. It's an encouraging book. Um, so many of them are, are pretty easy to read. You might run across one or two that are pretty long, um, but several of them are, are very short, but they're very powerful Psalms. And as we go through the book, you'll find a number of these Psalms that are Psalms of praise. They're songs of praise to God for who he is. Of course, we know David wrote um, many of the Psalms, I think over 70 that we have, that we find that are, uh, we know for sure that are accredited to him. And we're not sure when we come to Psalm chapter number 100, uh, who wrote this? It doesn't tell us for sure. Maybe it was David. Some scholars think that David, um, and why not when he wrote so many of them, but he saw fit in so many of these instances to give praise to his God. If you would with me, let's read Psalm 100. It's just five simple verses, but uh, I think they're very powerful verses this, this evening. Let's begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read all five here. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. <clears throat> Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Here we have a, a psalm of praise. The Bible might say at the top there, right above the first verse, it's, it's a psalm of praise. And it's, as I mentioned, one of many that we find written um, in, in, these, in these psalms. This chapter deals with why God is worthy of our praise and adoration. When we approach the very God of heaven, there are some ways in which we are commanded and told to do that. Can I ask us this evening, is God worthy of our praise? I think 100% we can say yes, he is worthy of our praise. He, he and he alone is worthy of our praise, of our worship, of our adoration of who he is. And tonight I want us just to see a small glimpse from this passage of scripture as the psalmist tells us a little bit and opens up a little bit of who God is and then an application tonight, what our response to our God should be. In our life, I want us to think, is it praise and adoration? Is it thanksgiving? Is it joyfulness? Is it singing? Or is it complaining, murmuring against our God? If I give a title to tonight, it would be, What Kind of Noise Are You Making? Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I, I ask as we open to your word and look at this short little psalm tonight that you'd help us to grasp something from it, to apply it, to help us to see the goodness of who you are and help us to realize our responsibility to praise and to worship you. Thank you for this time. Bless the few minutes we have together. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. When I think about what kind of, of noise are you making, of course, this first one says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You know, when you think of noise, a lot of times I think of something that's irritating. Don't you? When you think of the word noise, you think of irritation. You think of something um, that you hear that isn't very pleasant to hear. Um, maybe a couple things that come to mind. Have you ever been in a grocery store or maybe up at the front counter and, you know, where the candy is right before you get to the cashier? And maybe your next... And all of a sudden, they're next to you, the next cash register over, there's this family, and they have a young little Johnny or a Susie. 
And Susie or Johnny sees the little Reese's peanut butter cups on the shelf and picks them up and says, Oh, Mommy, I would love to have these Reese's. And Mom says, Nah, Johnny, Susie, not today. It's time to put, why don't you put those back on the shelf? And Johnny and Susie says, I don't like what Mommy or Daddy just told me, and I'm going to let the whole world know about it. And all of a sudden, from coming from the next cash register over, you hear this scream. And it's Johnny or Susie wanting the candy. And it's not a very pleasant sound, is it? It's like, Let's, would you please make the child be quiet? <laughs> and how many of you have ever had to do that, or maybe you've been the one that did that? I have to raise my hand being the one that have done that. But it's not a very pleasant noise. Maybe another one would be um, Seth's back here at the soundboard, and I've been back there at the soundboard when you're just sitting there and all of a sudden the thing decides it wants to go berserk on you and you hear this loud screeching noise, um, it's not a very pleasant sound. And Seth, did you just turn me up back there? It sounded like you did. Anyways, see, everyone looks back at Seth and blames Seth for the noise that you, just, that you might hear. But, you know, noise, it's really just sound. It's really just sound waves, and it's not necessarily, it can also be a positive thing. It can be something that's joyful to hear. Um, I love hearing my wife play the piano, or Pastor Andrew, or Miss Bragg, or Miss Lowe. Um, it's a joyful thing when someone comes and knows how to play the instrument well, and you hear them play it. It's another thing for me to sit down at the piano and try to play that. You don't want to hear that. But when you have someone who knows the instrument and knows how to play it well, it is a joyful noise. Well, this chapter gives us some very specific directions, beginning in verse 1, on ways we are to express our praise or our noise, as the Bible puts it here, to the Lord. And we'll come back to those in application in just a bit, but I'd like us to begin in verse 3 this evening. And I want us to see the reasoning behind our praise. We praise or honor someone because of who they are or the accomplishments that they have made. In order for someone to receive praise, they must have first done something to be worthy of that praise. You praise someone because of, of something that they've done that is worthy of that. Um, I think of someone in the military who has served our country well, and they come back and, and maybe they were wounded in battle, or maybe they just they've served our country and they are praised. Maybe they're given a medal for what they've done in praise of what they've done for our country. Uh, maybe you think of, of someone who invented something um, and they are praised for their invention. You can think of many people in, in our history who have invented things and they've been praised because of the invention that they've made. But it's all because of that they were worthy of that praise. These men and women, as I mentioned, for instance, our military, deserve our praise for their bravery and sacrifice so that we might remain free as a nation. There are men and women throughout history that have been praised for their great accomplishments. But can I tell us tonight that there is none who even comes close to the greatness of our God? Why is God deserving of our praise? Well, let's look at verse number 3. I'd like us to see just a couple things. We see, first of all, that he deserves our praise simply because he is God. Look at verse 3. It says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Now, this is not a question here. This is not, do you know the Lord is God? This is, no, know ye that the Lord, he is God. You know that the Lord is God. Well, why is he God? Well, there are many who have claimed to be God. There are many who have claimed to be deity. They have claimed that they have the attributes of God, but there is only one true 
and living God. His attributes of holiness, his attributes of righteousness, of sinless perfection, they prove his deity and prove his worthiness to be worshipped and praised. I like Hebrews 4, 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's what makes him God, yet without sin. Revelation 4 and verse 8, I like this. The four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. He's from the beginning, he is now, and he will be for all of eternity. That's what makes him God. He's Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Why should he be worshipped? Why should he be praised in our lives? Because he is God. Secondly, not only because he's just God, but we see he is our creator, God. He is our creator. Look with me again in verse 3. It says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. And then he goes on to give us more reasons of why he is to be praised and why he is God. It says, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. He is our creator. We know Genesis 1.1. It says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We see here, secondly, that he is worthy of praise because he is our creator. You know, society and the education system of today have sought to come up with a way to explain man's existence apart from God. They have pushed this evolutionary theory that says billions of years ago, a big bang took place, and from nothing the world began to exist. Somehow nothing exploded from nothing, and everything began to be. And over these last several hundred billion years, we have just evolved to here we are as humans today. Can I say this evening that this explanation gives no purpose to life? It gives no purpose. The evolutionary thinking gives no purpose in life other than eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. We don't know where we came from. We don't know why we're here. And we're just going to be gone tomorrow. There's no purpose in a life without a creator God. But our creator God, on the other hand, gives meaning and purpose to living because he created us. When we think about the complexities of each part of our bodies, it points us back to a divine creator. We could spend time talking about each part of our body and how it points to a creator, but just one part is our eye. Our eye is a very unique part of our body. One eye consists of more than two million working parts. They are incredibly complex, highly productive organs that can adjust to different conditions and environments immediately. The muscles that move your eyes are the fastest and strongest muscles in your body. They're a hundred times more powerful than necessary. After the brain, your eyes, of course, are the second most complex organ in your body. I thought this was interesting. uh, Most of us are familiar with fingerprinting. Yet retina scans are now commonly being used, and your fingerprint has 40 unique characteristics, whereas your iris has 256 unique characteristics. Your eye can detect over 10 million color hues. Your eyes are capable of processing 36,000 pieces of information per hour. Each of your eyes has a small blind spot on the back of the retina where the optic nerve attaches. The hole in your vision isn't noticed, Your eyes work together to fill each other's blind spot. Your eyes, it's estimated, will process 24 million images in your lifetime. 
and your eyes contribute towards 85% of your total knowledge. Just think about the complexity of these two things right here, of your eyes. And to think that they were created by an almighty God. Why praise him? Because he created you. And he made everything decently and in order. There was a doctor, Dr. Doug Borkman was a, um, I believe he was some sort of eye doctor who was an uh, evolutionist at one point and came to know Christ as his savior. And, and he wrote this. He said, the, the cornea, the lens, the retina, nerves, connections are ridiculously complex. There is so much to know. For an eye to be able to see, all the basic components must be present at the same time and work together perfectly. For instance, if all other components, such as the cornea, iris, pupil, retina, and eye muscles are all present and functioning properly, but just the eyelid is missing, then the eye will incur serious damage, dry up, and blindness would quickly ensue. Even Charles Darwin, the founder of, so-called founder of evolutionary theory, said that the eye that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. <laughs> Even Darwin himself recognized the complexity of the human eye. It points to none other than a creator God. Again, evolutionary process doesn't give really a purpose in life, but God does. Job 33, 4 Job said, the spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. I believe science does back up the claims of Scripture that God created the earth in six literal days. And we could take time, and if you haven't been, I encourage you to go to the Creation Science Museum in, in Kentucky in, in the Ark. It's, just a, uh, it's neat to see um, just the science and the, even the, the logical belief behind, but even more importantly, God said he created the earth. And I, by faith, believe that as well. And in creating us, he gave us a purpose, as I mentioned, that evolution can never give. Genesis 1, 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him. Male and female created he them. Here, from the beginning of time, God created a purpose in life for us. To think that myself, that you were made in the image of God. What a reason to praise him. So created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. And I, I think this is important. Male and female created he them. In our world today, it's very important to recognize that God created male and female, and he created a purpose he created a plan. He created a plan for a male and a female, for marriage, for one man and one woman to come together. He created a perfect plan. And when we step out of that plan, we step out of the design that God has for us. But when we recognize who God is, he had it all figured out from the beginning, and he put it in place, and he made us in the image of God. He gives purpose to our life, so that's why we should praise him. We should praise him tonight because he is... God, simply God. We should praise him because he is our creator, God. Thirdly, we should praise him because he is our redeemer. Look with me again in verse number three. It says, Know ye of our text in Psalm 100. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. <clears throat> we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I believe this phrase, 
here we are his people and the sheep of his pastures. Of course, speaking specifically of the Jewish people, and we know that God called out Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we have uh, the, the Jewish people, his people being called out. It's clearly speaking of that, but I think also it is very clear in other passages of Scripture that if we are here and are saved and know Christ as our Savior, that we are his sheep and he is our good shepherd. Look with me, if you would, at John chapter number 10. John chapter number 10. We'll look at a couple of verses here. In John chapter number 10. Of course, many times in Scripture we have this thought of a sheep and a shepherd. And Jesus many times would use this as he was teaching. And we go to John chapter number 10 and verse number 11. John 10 verse number 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Look down to verse number 14. Again, he states, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Look at verse 16. And other sheep have I which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jesus declares himself as the good shepherd. And if you know him as your savior tonight, you can say that he is your Good shepherd. I'm, you don't have to turn there. You all know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And it continues to go on and tell us what the good shepherd does for us. He's such a good God. He redeemed us. I was that lost sheep that Christ came and found. We were the lost sheep that was out and Christ came and found us. He rescued us. He saved us. Why praise him tonight? Because he is our redeemer. He is our redeemer. I'm so thankful that God saw me in my helpless, if I can say it tonight, sheepish state. (laughs) He saw me. Sheep aren't the smartest animals in the world. I'm not sure if you, um, I haven't been around too many sheep, but I've been told that they're they're not too smart. Um, You have to uh, feed them, You have to protect them. Um, They really can't do anything without a shepherd. And God saw me in that state, that helpless state of in sin, in misery, on my way to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. And God, as a good shepherd, had mercy on me. Just as he saw the the Jewish people in Egypt in bondage, he saw us in our state of sin and distress and he had compassion on us. I love Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was us. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're made alive in him tonight. Why praise him? Because he is your Redeemer. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came, yes, He created us, but He came to redeem us. God sent His only precious Son to die for us that we might be saved and get this, have a relationship with Him, both here and for all of eternity. You know, Christ wants us to grow that relationship with Him here. We don't have to wait for heaven to have a relationship with Him. We can have a personal relationship with him here. That's why he came. God loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever 
believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, he is worthy of our praise tonight because of his great mercy and his compassion that he has shown us in providing us a way of redemption. Jesus Christ himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And can I say tonight, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, he can be your Redeemer tonight. If you'll just, in faith, call out to him and ask him to to save you, you can know him tonight. He wants to save you. He loved you. He came and died for you. He's living for you. And he wants to be your Redeemer tonight. So not only, though, is he our Redeemer, we've seen he is God, he is our Creator, he is our Redeemer, but lastly, we, or number four, we've seen he is a great and a good God. Why praise him? Because he is great and good. Look with me at verse 5 of our text in Psalm 100. Psalm 100, verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. When you say tonight the Lord's been good to you, I can definitely say he's been good to my life. I, I can pinpoint areas in my life and say, wow, God's been good. I love the song, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One. I don't think oftentimes we do that enough and count the blessings of our God and what he has done for us. Psalm 40 and verse 5 says, Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. <laughs> Think of the goodness of God in your life. I think we could all say that there are more than can be numbered in our lives. If we start, just take a moment and begin to think of all God has done for us. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. If there's been a good thing that's happened in your life, it's because God allowed it to happen. He is such a good God. And then lastly, we see why should we praise him Because he is a never-changing God. Again, in verse 5, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. You know, we don't have to worry about a wishy-washy God. If he was wishy-washy, he wouldn't be God. We can trust his word. When we look into the scripture, why can we trust it? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable in our lives. It's truth that endureth forever. I love in Hebrews The writer of Hebrews said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Yes, I'm I'm probably going to change. You might change, but when we put our trust in God, he promises that he'll never change. We can trust in the very promises of God. Why? Because they come true. We see time and time and time again where the prophecies in Scripture have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he can be praised because he is a never-changing God. As I mentioned, he's the same yesterday and today and forever. We never have to worry about God, our God changing. So we've seen five reasons tonight of why he deserves our praise. We've seen that he is God, that he is our creator, he is our redeemer, he is a great and good God, and he is never changing. So quickly tonight, in conclusion and application, what should be our response to this great God? We've seen he's great. We've seen the reasons why, just in this couple of couple of verses here in this psalm of praise in Psalm 100. But what should our response as children of God be? Well, first of all, we see our first response is found in verse 1, a joyful noise. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. 
Psalm 95.1 says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. This word noise here is simply a, a shouting. It's a, it's a proclamation. This phrase is literally to raise a shout or to give a blast with a clarion horn. This is a call for all the earth, for all people to praise God openly for who he is. Our praise to our God is not something that should be hid. I love the song, don't hide your light under a bushel, but let it shine. It should not be something that should be hid, but we have reason to joyfully shout and declare the goodness of our Savior. Sometimes it might help us just to say amen sometimes in praising our God. Are we joyfully lifting up his name today? Would, would the world know the God we serve by the way we joyfully worship him? One way we can do that is in our singing. I love our hymnal. It's filled with songs of praise to our God. I think a lot of these hymn writers, they understood what it was to praise God. And if you take the time just for a few moments to recognize the words, sometimes I know I, I do it too. You just start singing and the words just fly by. But if you take the time, you'll realize that the, a lot of these people, they understood the goodness of God. And they praised Him. And we can praise Him joyfully in our singing. Sometimes we think that we praise Him joyfully, by the way, you know, with a good voice. And sometimes, I guess you could praise Him with a good voice. It's not a bad thing. But we can praise Him by simply joyfully singing from our heart. It's not about the tone. It's about a joyful praise to God. So a joyful we see a joyful noise. Secondly, how do we praise God? What should be our attitude of praise to God? It's a glad attitude. Look with me in verse number two. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence <clears throat> with singing. Now, it's one thing to just serve the Lord, but it's an entirely different thing to serve him with gladness. Have any of you maybe asked your children to, to go do something, maybe to go clean their room, and, and uh, they didn't do it with gladness? Yeah, I'll go clean my room, and they stomp off in there to clean their room. Um, it wasn't with an attitude of gladness. Maybe they served. Maybe they went and did what you told them to do, um, but it wasn't really true obedience because it wasn't an attitude of gladness from the heart. Well, when we serve God, when we obey him, when we serve him on a daily basis, it's commanded to be done with an attitude of gladness, with a joyful spirit, with a joyful heart. Will times get rough sometimes? Yes. Will things get hard in life? Yes, but we're commanded to do it with a joyful spirit, with a joyful heart. Service done without gladness and joy in the heart is really just disobedience. If it's not done joyfully to the Lord, it needs to be done with a glad spirit, with a glad heart. So we've seen a, a joyful noise, a glad attitude, thirdly, a thankful heart. Look with me at verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. You know, our world today is really missing this aspect of being thankful. <laughs> Simply being thankful for what others have done for us. It's stopping for just a moment and recognizing the investment that someone has made in our lives. Uh, from a human perspective, it might be time that someone spends with us to help us, or maybe something, uh, someone thinking of us on a special occasion, or maybe giving us a gift. Thankfulness, then, recognizes and is grateful when someone takes the effort to invest some way in our lives. You know, I, I believe that's important that we're thankful for those that have invested, and we should show that thankful heart to them. But how much more should we declare the goodness of our God and be thankful to Him 
We just read what he's done for us. We've read that he's our creator. He's our redeemer. He is our God. He is good and merciful, and his truth endureth forever. He is worthy of our thankful heart. The psalmist, over and over again, gives thanks and tells us to give thanks unto the Lord. Just listen to a few times what the psalmist says. He says in Psalm 34, Sing unto the Lord, give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Psalm 75, 1, Unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks. For that thy name is near, thy wondrous works declare. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. Psalm 92, 1. Psalm 97, 12. Rejoice ye in the Lord and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Psalm 105, 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Psalm 106, 1. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. 107, 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. 118, 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. 118, 29, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. 136, 133, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. The psalmist saw the need and the responsibility even to give thanks unto our God. Daniel said, I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made me known, has made known unto me Now what we desired of thee, for thou hast made known unto us the king's matter. You might say, well, that's the Old Testament. Where does it say we're to give thanks in the New Testament? Well, it's there as well. You could go to Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We have a responsibility. We have a command to give thanks to our Heavenly Father, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. See, we can give, we're told to bring our requests to God, but it's supposed to be done in an attitude of thanksgiving. It's a thankful heart. How do we approach our Lord when we pray? Do we come before his presence with a, first and foremost with a thankful heart, or is it with an attitude of complaining or a murmuring, griping spirit? I can tell you, man, I've, I've been... <laughs> guilty of this it's easy to gripe it's a lot easier i find in my selfish state to gripe and complain than it is to give thanks to god it's easy to find something to to gripe about than it is to find something to give thanks for in my flesh philippians 2 14 says do all things without murmurings and complainings you know the the people of israel when they were led out of egypt they had a lot to learn about not complaining Over and over and over again, it says they complained against God. They complained against Moses. They complained because they didn't like what they were eating. They complained because circumstances weren't this and circumstances weren't that. And guess what? God got tired of their complaining after a while. The Lord, I think, sometimes gets tired of our complaining. And he wants us to see his goodness and give him thanks. Number four, a humble proclamation. Quickly, a humble proclamation. How do we praise God? We come before him with a humble proclamation. Look with me in verse number four again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, to his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. This word bless literally means to kneel down. This is an outward expression of respect and humility. When people would come before the presence of a king, you know, in the days gone by, they would often bow before him to show their willingness to obey and subject themselves to this ruler, to this king. Again, if people will bow down and show respect to an earthly ruler, how much more should we humble ourselves in the sight of God? 
And I'm not saying just in a physical sense, and I think it is good sometimes to just get on our knees before God. But also in an everyday sense of waking up and realize I can do nothing through Christ. I need him in my life. It's a humble proclamation of bless his name, of putting myself under him and subjecting myself to God in my life. You know, we're told over and over again in Scripture to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it says in Proverbs 1.7. Now, this is not a, I have to be afraid of God. This is a, a reverential fear. I liked Oswald Chambers. He said this. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I think that's good tonight. We need to have a reverential fear of God. A humbleness of, I am nothing, but God, you are everything. I need you in my life. It's a humble proclamation of who God is. 1 Peter 5 Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves on the mighty hand of God. The recognition that I am nothing, that I must have God in my life. In conclusion tonight, we've looked at why and how of praise. We have seen that he is worthy of our praise, first of all, because he is our God. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He is a great and good God and his truth endureth forever. In response to why he is worthy of our praise, we've seen several areas from our text of what we're commanded to do in Psalm 100. We've seen a, to make a joyful noise, to have a glad attitude, to have a thankful heart, and to have a humble proclamation before God. You know, I don't know what the Lord may be doing in your life tonight, but it's a good reminder of how little sometimes I praise my Savior. Maybe it's a reminder tonight of how much I gripe, how much we complain about maybe circumstances in our lives. Rather than seeing the goodness of God, seeing the greatness of who he is, of seeing his loving, kind hand towards us and creating us and redeeming us and being so good to us and then bowing ourselves before him. Does the world see someone who is praising our God? Or when the world looks at us, do they see a grumbling, complaining spirit? I don't want to be like that Christian. All they do is complain and grumble all the time. I don't want that to be said of me. I want the world to look at me and say, wow, he must have a good God because he praises them an awful lot. I don't know how the Lord might be working in your heart tonight, but would we just be willing just to take a moment and say, God, Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for being my creator. Thank you for being my savior. And I want to serve you for the rest of our lives. Bow in prayer and pray and then ask Dad to come and close as he sees fit tonight. Dear Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to look into your word, to see the greatness of our God. Help us tonight to recognize our responsibility to praise you, to worship you. That's why we're here tonight. Help us to see the need to praise you in our life, to thank you for who you are and what you've done. Give us a good night, I pray in Christ's name.